If you'll uh, keep your Bibles, turn to John 17. And we're going to look at uh, the verses that, that Graham read this morning. In fact, we're going to spend the next two weeks um, looking and, and answering the question, what, what does Jesus want for us? And as we uh, read through this prayer, uh, it's really not a prayer as we read it that should necessarily be divided. It feels a little weird dividing uh, a prayer of Jesus, but we definitely do that as we teach it. And so we'll do that over the next couple of weeks, asking that question, what does Jesus want for us? Now, many of us have um, had different types of jobs before, and as you enter a new job or a new place of employment, uh, you, you want to know, what, what does this place want, want for me? What do they want from me or of me? And we want to know questions like that. It'd be a little tough walking into a, a new place and just kind of not knowing, well, what does this place want from me? What, what do they want for me? And, and, and what am I to do? What's my purpose here? I was talking to a gentleman recently who, in our congregation, has a new job. And I said, how's it going? And he's like, hey, man, I'm just trying to figure out uh, what, what I'm supposed to be doing. And it, it can be a little frustrating if we don't know what that is. Uh, same thing as, as students. As they go back to school, many of them tomorrow, it'd be a little frustrating not knowing, what, is, what does my teacher want from me? What does she want for me as a student in her class? And, and what's my purpose here? Uh, and it, that's frustrating if we don't know that. Um, even as parents, uh, it, it's important that we let our kiddos know we, what we want for them, ultimately, and what we expect from them as well. Oh, what I love about this, this prayer is we can walk away and answer that question. What, what does Jesus want for me? And ultimately, we're going to see what, what does he expect from me? What, what does he want from me? Um, but ultimately, what is his great desire for me? And I think in this prayer, we see his heart of what he ultimately wants for us. And he, here's what I did. I, I spent a lot of time this week just making this sermon small. <laughs> making it small. Um, so small that 9 a.m. class was, was quite uh, Im impressed because uh, it was 20 minutes. Uh, you're going to get the longer version, all right? <laughs> but, but just making it small. And, and in saying that, I've got eight points for you this morning. <laughs> Get a little humor out of you guys. Um, but I think we see eight things here. And what I want to do next week is come back around and talk to you about the last part of this chapter and, and, and continue to answer that question. But, but I want us to see these eight things this morning. Um, to kind of set up what's going on here, it's important to know the context. What uh, is happening? Uh, Jesus is, is here. He, he's praying here in John 17. We have this lengthy prayer uh, that's closing out this lengthy discourse that he has uh, been communicating his words to his disciples in the upper room. And he has washed their feet. He has sat down with them, had a meal with them. Uh, here he has uh, asked them to take the bread and he is told them that this represents my body. He has taken the cup, the wine at the table, and said this is, represents my blood of the new covenant. And he, he is instituted there. We know the, the Lord's Supper. It's what we're going to remember together here in a few moments. But, but Jesus has, has walked with his disciples, given him words of encouragement, words of instruction. He's told them that I'm going to leave with you the Holy Spirit. You're going to have another helper as I go. It's going to be better for you to have the presence of the Spirit than, than me. And so he has said a lot of things. Um, in this discourse, and here he pauses and he prays. 
And his prayer really has, has three sections to it. The, the first part, the first five verses, is Jesus praying for himself. We're going to see that in a bit, how he prays for himself and ultimately how it impacts us. And then in verse 6 through 19, he takes time and he prays for the 11 disciples. And ultimately, we're going to see how that prayer even impacts us. And then as he shifts at the end in verse 20, he prays for you. And he prays for me. He prays for the church. He prays for generations and generations of people who've believed in Jesus. And so look what he says, in fact, in verse 20, if you would skip ahead to that. It says here, I do not ask, as he's praying to the Father on behalf of these alone. I don't ask just on behalf of the 11 disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Amazing. The word of the 11 disciples, as they have declared the word of God and held out the gospel and let that be known to the world. And now as that word has multiplied and, and fruit of their ministry has grown astronomically all the way to today. And here Jesus is saying, I'm praying not only for the 11, but for generations of believers. And so as we look at this text today, I want us to know that what Jesus is praying here in this text is for us. It's real personal. He's praying for us. Well, it's interesting, when Jesus prays this as John records his prayer, um, it's interesting, he hadn't begun his, his high priestly ministry. And if you look at your Bibles, a lot of us have a subtitle or a title that says this is the Jesus' high priestly prayer. But, but Jesus will and is now uh, ministering uh, to you and I as our great high priest. Hebrews talks about that. He intercedes on our behalf, and here we see him doing that, and he still does that for today to where we could say Jesus is praying this for us today, and he wants this for you and I. And so I, I read this this week differently, and I thought, okay, Jesus, what do you want for me? What do you want from the rich? What do you want for us? What do you want for us? And a lot of things were swarming in my head, but I just started looking at the text and saying, okay, okay, here, here's some basic things. Here's some simple things that we can walk away with and say, you know what? Without a doubt, Jesus wants this for me. He wants this for me. And he's praying this for me even today. And I, I hope that just resonates with you to know that that's what Jesus wants for you. And so today, to do that, I want to walk through these texts, and we're going to take some, some bigger chunks, um, but to look at this text and walk away with answering that question. So look at the end of chapter 16. I think it's important to know what he has said, and then what he will pray. And then look at verse uh, 33. He says, these things, as he's talking to his disciples, I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. It's funny, uh, yesterday my oldest son ran in his uh, first cross-country meet, and um, I told him on the way there, he was, he was a little nervous, uh, and I told him on the way there, I said, hey, listen, Jesus says this to, to us. He, he says, take courage. Don't be afraid, but, but I've overcome the world, and he 
Noah looked at me and says, so, so I'm, what, what, am, what am I overcoming? I'm overcoming the, the world. I'm going to take over the world today by running this track meet. And I say, no, I don't think you're going to uh, take over the world. I, I just want you to be encouraged and, and not be afraid because Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the world, the enemy and sin. And we, we, just, we just talked uh, about it to give an encouragement. And he said, after the race, I, he said, hey, Dad, I, I remembered that verse uh, he said, but all I could think about is me taking over the world. I was like, dude, no, no, <laughs> that's, no that, that's not it. It's uh, <laughs> not it. Um, but what is Jesus saying here? What's he really saying? He's telling the disciples, hey, listen, in me, you can have peace in a world full of troubles and tribulations, full of stresses. As John was talking about, through the floods of life, the, the overcoming things of life, why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. And here's what Jesus is going to do in his prayer. He's going to talk about how he's overcome the world by what he's about to do. But I want you to see in this text, and we see a little bit of it in verse 33, what he wants for you and I real simply this morning, okay? And we're going to see it through verse 1 and 5 as well as he prays, is he wants us to know God. First point, he wants us to know God. He wants us to know the Heavenly Father through Him, real simply. And so, as we think about our purpose as a church, our purpose as a church is to be disciples, to make disciples. That, that's, that's what we want to be about. And Jesus is going to reflect that in His prayer. And so, as disciples, first thing and first more, uh, out of the gate is that disciples know the Father through Jesus. And so listen to how Jesus prays according to that point. He says, Jesus spoke. John is writing what Jesus prayed. And it says, Jesus spoke these things that he just spoke about in the upper room. And then lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. What's this hour? The hour is talking about Jesus' death. It's talking about his, his resurrection. It's also talking about his ascension as well. It's got all that in view. And that hour has come, Jesus said. And he says, now glorify your son that the son may glorify you. What's amazing about that is Jesus is not being selfish here in his prayer and saying, hey, God, glorify me, glorify me, glorify me. In that way, what he is saying is a very unselfish thing because how the son is going to be glorified is by him being obedient to the point of death on a cross. And yes, the Father is going to exalt him and raise him up on the third day, as we sung about just a moment ago. And he's going to not only exalt him uh, from, from death to life, but he's going to exalt him to the highest position, to the right hand of God in all glory. After 40 days here on earth, he's going to ascend to heaven. And the disciples are going to witness that. And so Jesus says, hey, glorify me. Glorify me in this hour that's about to come. So what? So that I may glorify you. One thing I love about these first five verses is we see the heart of God and what God loves. God loves his glory. Jesus loves the glory of God. And that's good for you and I because the glory of God means this, that, that you and I get to know who God is. Because the glory of God is about God's name being known, about the character of God, his wisdom, his power, his love, his grace being revealed and made known. And that's why Jesus came. 
And so look at how this impacts us. Look at verse two and three as he's praying. He says, even as you have gave him authority over all flesh, Jesus talking about himself, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life that they may know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so Jesus is saying here, God, by your sovereign grace, by your sovereign choosing, by your election, you have given me, Jesus is saying, those who you want me to grant eternal life to. And so who has the authority to do that is Jesus. And Jesus gives eternal life freely and full of grace. And he is the one who's the giver of it. Now, but what does eternal life mean? When you look at this, What does this essentially mean in this text? Look at verse three more carefully. It says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus says. It's more than just intellectual knowledge. We know that. Knowing God speaks of a personal relationship. It speaks of intimacy, which is continuous, which is dynamic in the sense that it impacts our life. We're changed by coming to know God. And so, This word here, knowing God, it speaks of this intimate union. Um, We see it used in other places of a man and a wife coming together in this union. And it's the same idea here that we are now in the Father, in the Son. We have this relationship with them. And it's personal. It's intimate. It's affectionate. It's about commitment. And so how do we receive it? Well, according to John's writing in John 3, 16, you remember what Jesus says? He says, God so loved the world that he gave, what, his one and only begotten son, Jesus, who's praying here, so that you would not perish. But if you would believe, you would have what? Eternal life. And that's what Jesus gives, eternal life, that you would know God and the Son by believing in Christ, his death, his resurrection. That's what he gives freely. He wants us to know God. Look at verse four and five. He continues this prayer and he says to the Father, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. It's what Jesus came for, for the work of God and to accomplish it. And he says here, now Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus has done the will and the work of the Father here on earth. He is anticipating that work and and, and the finishing of it. Remember what Jesus prays on the cross. In John 19, in verse 30, we read as he cries out on the cross, it is finished. That's what he's looking forward to here. And he will raise from the grave. He will ascend to heaven. And he asks the Father, glorify me. Glorify me before with that pre-existing glory before my incarnation, before uh, creation was even made, glorify me to that place. And so Jesus, what he's going to talk a lot about here in this prayer is this equality, this oneness that he has with the Father. And that's significant. He says here, "I, I, I long to be back in that place of glory with you. And so do you see the emphasis here? It's the glory of God. And again, that's God's great love for us, that he would be revealed, that he would be known through the nations, throughout the nations, and ultimately that we would know him personally, who he is, and have a relationship with him. And so just out of the gates this morning, I want you, if you're here this morning, if you don't know 
who the Father is, if you don't know who Christ is, God, if you were to ask the question this morning, what does God want from me? What does Jesus want from me? The first and foremost, to know him, to know him. And real simply this morning, it's believing in who Christ is and his death and his resurrection. Now, he loved you so much that he gave his own life for you so that you can have a relationship with him. And that is what God has created you for, is to know him personally. And so don't forget that first step. Many of us in here this morning say, well, I, well, I know that. I get that. Well, that's good. That knowing, that relationship is continuous, and that is to grow. We're going to see a little bit of that in a bit. But continue to look at this prayer. Look what he says next in verse 6. He's going to start praying for the 11. And look what he says here. I have manifested, I have made known your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word, a significant phrase. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, in verse 8, I have given to them, they received those words, and truly understood that I came forth from you, God, and they believed that you sent me. And just as Jesus mentioned the mention the work of God in verses 1 through 5, in giving Jesus those who, who will inherit and be given eternal life, the Father gives them to the Son. Jesus gives them eternal life. Here we see that practically. And these 11 who, who we have seen through the Gospels who have been called out with the likes of, of Peter and, and James and John, Nathaniel, Philip. We can look at others. And so we practically see that. And so what has Jesus done? He's made known God's name to them. That's why Jesus came. Uh, do you remember in, throughout John it says that Jesus came... I, in the flesh, and he dwelt among men. Why did he come in verse 18 of John 1? To explain to mankind who God is, who the Father is. And so they have come to know him. And so what has Jesus wanted from disciples? What does he want from them? Well, I want you to look at the end of verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. It says, they have kept your word. And then in verse 7, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, and the words which you gave me, I gave to them. They received them, and they understood that I came forth from you. And so what do we see from these 11 that we can say, what does Jesus want for me? He wanted it for them, and he got it from them. Not necessarily perfectly, but he got it from them. He longs from his disciples for us to keep the word of God to believe in the word of God, to, to follow Jesus, to consistently obey him. Now, these 11 didn't consistently obey. In fact, in the next couple of days, they're gonna royally jack some things up, right? They're gonna fail. And we've been there. We've had those, those failing moments. We've had, we've had those slips. We've had those stumbles. And, and by the grace of God, God picks us back up to, to walk again, to, to go back to keeping the word of God. But what we see from these 11, they believe the word. They continue to learn. They continue to grow in the very word of God. Understanding who God is and that he sent his son. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to believe. He wants us to learn. He wants us to grow in the word of God. Let me just encourage you um, to continue to be in the word of God. That there is nothing more that we need in this life. As Jesus says in Matthew 4.4, 4, man cannot live on, what, bread alone, 
but alone on, on the word of God, the, the very word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what we need. And so may we believe, may we learn, may we grow continually in the word of God. If, if you're kicking the tires on that, man, you're struggling with that, let me encourage you, go to our website, jump in with us. We're in Psalm 119, there's devotionals online, and, and read those, and daily they're there. I want to encourage you to do that. And then look at verse 9 and 10. The third thing that we see here is what does Jesus want for us? He says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been um, glorified in them. And so Jesus here is praying specifically again for these 11 disciples who belong to the Father. And he mentions that just as the disciples belong to the Father, they also belong to him. That's an amazing point that, that Jesus makes here. That, and he says this back in John 10 as well, that he holds us in his hand, and no one can snatch us out of his hand. And not only that, but the Father holds us in his hand. Talk about some security. He keeps us. He protects us in his hand. And he says, I and the Father are one. So Jesus says here, I'm praying for them whom you have given me. They're yours. They're, they're mine. And check out what he says at the very end of verse 10. He says, I have been glorified in them. As they have this relationship with the Father and Son, Jesus says, they have glorified me here on the earth. Who has? The 11. Not only have they glorified him, they, they will glorify him especially when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, they, they will live and, and, and turn the world upside down for the glory of God. And so what do we see here, thirdly, that Jesus wants for us? Ultimately, he wants us to live for the glory of God. He longs for that for us, that that would be our focus of life, our purpose, our passion. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether then, Paul says, you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory at home, so, or for the glory of God. So whether at home, with your family, whether with your peers at school, whether in the sports field, whether the workplace, whether on vacation, wherever you at, live for what? For the glory of God, that our lives would reflect who God is. That's what he wants for us. Fourthly, look what he wants. Look at verse 11 through 12. He says, I'm no longer in the world, Jesus says. Interesting as he prays this. He is in the world, but he's looking ahead. He's anticipating what is coming. Yet they themselves, the 11, are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father, in verse 11, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. And he says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them. Not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus was about to depart from them, to go to the cross, to go to the grave, to rise again, to go to the Father as he ascends to heaven. And he tells the Father, God, keep them in your name. I have protected them. I have kept them by your grace. Continue to keep them in the grace of God, Father, as I go away. This world is hostile. This world is full of troubles and, and tribulation. Lord, keep them in your name. Ultimately, what is Jesus praying for the disciples specifically? God is protector, defender, who keeps us, who keeps us in his grace 
But what does he ultimately want for us? He wants for us to be faithful. Ultimately, that's what he's praying here for the disciples, that they would be loyal to the Father, that they would be faithful to God. As they have learned the wisdom, the power, the love, the grace, the kindness, and on and on about the character of God, that God would keep them in that, and they would live what they've learned about him out in their life and reflect that. Unlike Judas, who didn't, the one who perished, God says here, I want these to be faithful. And what's the purpose of them being faithful? He says in verse 11, that they would be one. That they would live faithfully and and together they would be united. We're going to hear more about this next week. And so I want to jump ahead. But but real simply, what is he praying for? That, That this group of 11 would have a unity based around essentially what they believe about God, who he is, about Christ, and who he is and his purposes. And we'll see that in, in, in many through the New Testament letters, and especially in Acts, as, as the church begins, of how God is going to do that and how the unity of these faithful ones were so important. But not only unity around essentially what they believe, but about their purpose. And Jesus is going to tell them a little bit about that in just a bit. And so first, we see here, God wants them to live faithfully. Jesus wants for us to live faithfully and be in unity. And look what he says next, number five, in verse 13. He says, but now I've come to you. Father, I've come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. One of my favorite verses. Jesus today wants joy for you. Ultimate joy maxed out, unbelievable, joy like you've never had before. And it's not earthly joy. You can't get this this thrill from anything in the world. But Jesus says, I want them to know the fullness of my joy, to have that. And you and I can have that. Not not earthly joy, but Savior joy, God-like joy. He was going to leave them, Jesus is here in this world, amongst a lot of troubles, a lot of suffering, a lot of tribulation and pain, but he says they can still have the fullness of my joy in the midst of it. How do we have that kind of joy? I think real simply, by living obediently to what Jesus wants from us, by obeying his words, and by living out his mission, there is nothing more joyful You want to know true joy? Live according to the word of God. Live it out. And you'll experience joy like no other. Like no other. And then look what he says in verse 14. Not only does he want joy for us, but he he wants us to live as citizens of heaven. Listen to what he says in verse 14 through 16. He says, I've given them your word. The world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And Jesus has given the disciples the word of God, namely the gospel. And their lives have been radically changed, been been born again. They've experienced this, this new birth. And Jesus says, as a result, they're not of this world anymore. They're of a different world. And Paul says they're now citizens of what? Heaven. That's what Jesus wants for us. 
Jesus' home is not this world, but heaven, and ultimately the new heavens and the new earth is his destiny, and that's our destiny. And so as disciples, we're citizens of heaven, not of this earth. But as we are on this earth, what does Jesus say we will experience? We'll experience first hate, right? We're going to experience all sorts of evil as well. As we look at it in our context, in our, our world today, where we live, the song of hate is strong. The emotion of hate is strong and will be strong. It's hate toward Christians, toward believers. Now, we see it differently in our context here in the United States. We see it differently across the world, in third world countries and in other countries where um, people are not allowed to share their faith. Christians being persecuted and killed. The hate is strong. Henry Longfellow, in his Christmas hymn back in 1864, wrote this. He says, I, uh, in his song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, one of my favorites. He says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And sometimes when we look at the media, we look at things that, that we read online or, or different things that we hear, sometimes that's what we are probably prone to do. But I love how Longfellow closes his song. He says, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. He does not sleep. You guys excited about that? Okay. Are you asleep? God's not dead. Nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail. We can, we can believe that. The right will prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. I love those words. Though hate is strong, we're to live as those from another world full of love, full of grace in the face of hate, just as Christ did. And as his disciples on earth. What I love about this is, is Jesus doesn't ask for the Father, Father, keep them from suffering. Jesus, keep them from pain. He doesn't come praying for that. Jesus says, instead, I want them to live like they're from another world. I want them to live as though they're born from heaven because guess what? They are. And so, when they're faced with hate, when they're faced with evil, the temptations of the enemy May they not be deceived. May they not give in to the temptations of this world, but instead, may they walk a different walk. May they walk, not as those who love the world, but who love God and his son. And so, we're to live as citizens of heaven. And then he says this, look at verse 17. Two more I want you to see as we wrap up. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. One of the most Simplest and shortest verses in the Bible and most powerful, impactful verses. Sanctify them. What does Jesus want for us here? He wants us to be a set apart for the purposes of God as we live according to his word. And so Jesus prays for his disciple, disciples that they would be sanctified. What does that mean, sanctified? We don't use that word a lot except in probably these walls or maybe in a small group. 
We're studying the word of God. Sanctified simply means to be set apart, that we'd be set apart from the world and that we would um, be set apart unto God to live our life according to his ways. Asking God, how do you want me to live? And to live that way out, to literally be holy as God is holy. And so the word of God is the means by which holiness and sanctification is, is grown, is, is attained. And continues to, uh, to happen in our life. We become more holy as we read the word of God. The idea in John, though, is when he talks about sanctification, is the idea of being set apart unto a mission. That we are set apart unto a purpose, a greater purpose. That we're to live out the mission of God. We're set apart for that. So, so why do I go to work? Because I'm set apart to live out the mission of God in that workplace. Why, after this church service, am I going to go and um, back to my neighborhood eventually because I'm set apart to live as a neighbor in the neighborhood? Why am I going to go to school tomorrow? Because I'm set apart to live as a citizen of heaven on this campus. You see, it changes everything. It helps us see everything to realize you and I are set apart for the purpose of God, for the mission of God. And what happens is when we read the word of God, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever feel this, but when you read the word of God, what God is doing is, is helping you realize, I'm set apart, I'm set apart, I'm set apart. But when we're not in the word of God, are we really feeling that? I mean, what happens a lot of times is instead of being set apart, we're more like the world. And so the word of God reminds us of that, that I'm set apart. And through that, he's making us more like Christ. And lastly, I want you to see this, and this is exactly what Jesus says next. There's a purpose to us being sanctified, to us being set apart. It's the last thing, that we would live a sent life. And that's what Jesus wants for us, to realize that we're sojourners, that we've been sent, that we're on a mission. In verse 18, he says, you, um, Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. These 11 specifically, but that's his goal, his mind for us as well. Now, it's for, for, for pastors, for those who have uh, seminary degrees, it, it's not for those uh, who, who've just been ordained by a church or anything like that, and those things are all great, and we need that, but the whole goal here is that as disciples who follow him, who are followers of Christ, who have eternal life, you have been sent, just as Jesus has, into the world. He says in verse 19, for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. What Jesus is saying here, I'm, I'm setting myself apart to, for this mission. And he's going to the cross, and, and, and he's going to be ascended into heaven, and all this that he's talking about, this hour that's coming, I've set myself apart for the mission of God so that they would be set apart in the truth, so that they also would live out the mission of the gospel in this world. And so just as Jesus has been sent, you and I are sent. We're sent to live out the mission of God in this world, that by our life we would proclaim the truth of God. And, and how do people know the truth of God? How do they know the gospel? They don't know it unless we speak it. They don't know it unless we communicate it. 
There was a quote a long time ago. I don't know where it came from. Some might know and remember the guy who, who said it. It's a horrible quote. But I've quoted it in sermons decades ago, probably as a student pastor. But it went something like this, and maybe I'll remember it correctly. If I don't, I guess since it's horrible, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that he said, preach the gospel and sometimes use words. No. no. How, how else do you preach the gospel? I think what happens a lot of times, we, we get so fixed, well, I'm going to live the gospel out. Honestly, I, I don't think you can just live the gospel out. I think you have to speak the gospel. And so when Jesus says here, just as I have been sent, we look at his life. He just didn't live the gospel. He spoke the gospel. That's what he was sent to do is to communicate. He was the communication, the word of God. And so as you and I are sent, we are sent just like Jesus to communicate the gospel. So we're sent just as Jesus has been sent. And that's what he wants for us. I hope today, I hope you hear these things and you hear, wow, that's what Jesus wants for me. And, and as you're sitting here, and I see students in here too, students, that's what he wants for you. And so as you go back on that campus tomorrow, you can say, okay, what does Jesus want for me as I walk through these doors? What does he want for me? With all these things coming at me, these pressures and all these new things coming at me and all these changes, what does he want for me? Parents, what does he want for me so that I can guide my kiddos? And, and we read it here. Uh, going to work tomorrow, what does Jesus want for me? And so I pray you take these points, take these eight points and just, just rehash them, look through them maybe, pray through them. It's okay, Jesus, that's what you want for me. And may it impact us this week. That's the hope. If, if that's the case, I, I think about this often. If that's the case, if, if we just hear this, but yet it, it doesn't mean anything, we just kind of walk away and, and don't do anything with it, then, then man, I, I do this to be faithful. And, and so I, I know that, I, I, but sometimes I think, well, then why? Why do we do this? We do this, the, the word is preached and communicated so, so that we, including me, because now I'm responsible too, because I've studied it all week, I've, I've preached it, that, that we would walk this out, that we would take the truth that we've heard, and maybe it's bits of it, right? That, that's it. And, and God takes it, and, and he lands it on our heart, but here's the deal. We learned this last week. We can't have hard hearts. We've got to have hearts that receive it. And so what that means is that we take this word and we want to go now and live it out. And so we're going to ask the question today, in our life, as we go to bed, Jesus, what do you want from me? And I can look back at John 17 and say, okay, I see it. I see it. And we start just living this out. He wants that for me. He wants it. I pray that happens. I pray that happens. I pray the Holy Spirit does a work in our life today because of this word. We're going to look again at it next week in kind of a different light as we, we, we look at the end of this and flesh out a little more as a church. What does Jesus want for us? What do we see? And so today, ultimately, as we go back to what he said at the very beginning, God longs for us to know him. And he has given Jesus 
the right, the authority to give us eternal life. And Jesus said while he was here on earth, how do we receive eternal life? By believing in him. Have you believed in Christ today? Not just um, affection for him, not, not just agreeance with, with words that he said, but, but have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing in his death and his resurrection, that he died for you and he's overcome sin and died in your place? Do you believe in that? If you don't today, I, I pray that you would trust in Christ or maybe ask someone, and I'd love to learn more about that. Maybe find me, someone close by, maybe you've connected with or, or, or find somebody after the service. I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe it's later this week. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd love to know God. But I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. We'd love to connect with you throughout the week as well. And so let me do this. Let me pray for us. We're going to come and celebrate communion together. Remember what Christ has done for us by dying on the cross for us. It's amazing. As he celebrates this meal, just um, right before he prays this prayer, that that's the meal that we're commemorating and remembering this morning that Jesus has asked us to remember as a church and to remember that hour that he talked about was coming. It has come, and the Son has been glorified, and we get to remember that today. Let's pray.